Now, Pastor Jay and I did not discuss his transition in my sermon, so I know the Lord must be working among us because I titled this sermon today, if you were going to give any type of title to it, Trusting a Known God in Unknown Situations. Trusting a Known God in Unknown Situations. And the reason that I titled it this way is that the, in every year I take time to go and seek God about what he's saying to me for the following year. I do, I do it every year. Now, sometimes are more profound than others. Not every year do I get this massive download from heaven over what I'm going to do every month of the year. But sometimes God does speak specifically to me or specifically to what God is speaking over the area or the thing that I'm in the midst of. And this year, when I was seeking the Lord in November, I was really asking God, like, what is it that is over 2021 for Jason and I, for our family? We always do that over our children. And the Lord gave me two words. And the first one made more sense than the second one at the time. The first word God gave me was courage. This was a year of courage. In fact, it was so real in me in November that over the course from November until the end of December, every place I spoke, uh, or virtually or physically, I preached on courage at some level. What did it mean to have courage? Because I felt so strongly that 2021 for my life and for many people was a year of courage. But I was reluctant to share the second word. Anybody ever have that? Like you get like a first word, it sounds good. You're like, you know everybody gonna shout that down. The second word was a distinctive word that for me didn't make sense completely in November until I really sought the Lord about it. And the second word was that this was a year of tension. That this was a year of tension. And I thought, you know, when you're in your own life, you start to appropriate words in the season that you're living in, right? So whenever you have a season and then you receive a word from God, you start to try to figure out, is that into a new realm or is that in my current circumstance? And the Lord began to just speak to me that this was not about November and December. This was about 2021, that that was going to be a year of tension. And I asked the Lord, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does a year of tension look like? What are you trying to say? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, he said, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega and I've got to get you to where you're okay in the tightrope of the middle. And I, I asked the guys in the back because I just wanna demonstrate something as I start today because I had to make this real for me the Lord began to speak to me about things like, Amanda, this year it's going to be now and not yet. This year is going to be some good things versus an intention with some of the best things. This year is going to be difficult and rewarding. I wrote these all down in my journal in November and I appropriated them according to what was happening in our life. At that point, we had made some decisions to potentially begin to launch out into Europe. And of course, if you know me, I'm an American. Ain't ever been a time in all 45 nations I visited that when I got off that plane, those double arches were calling my name. That's also known as McDonald's. I don't even eat McDonald's in America, but it felt American. And I can still remember thinking to myself, Lord, I will go anywhere. Most of you don't know this, but when I was 15, I wanted to go somewhere my dad had never been. And so there was a, a missions trip for six weeks, wasn't it so, Mom, to Siberia. Now, this Florida chick decided to take a trip right after really the Iron Curtain fell, right after the nation became open, to go to Siberia. And I was geeked up, right, because I had had all these prophetic words about being international, that God had called me to be an international speaker, and I was gonna do these, well, when you're 15, that sounds like so rad. Like, you're like, yeah, bow to me. I'm gonna be an international speaker, and one day you will want me, you know, to everybody you know, because you're 15, and that's how you see it. That's probably how Joseph was in scripture. And I went to Siberia, and for six weeks, I did what they told us to do because we didn't have enough interpreters. And in that six weeks, we, we were supposed to draw the salvation message. And for six solid weeks, every day for six weeks, I drew the salvation message for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Siberians. And not one of them 
ever said yes. Never. Not in six weeks. And, you know, back then you didn't have cell phones. So I got one phone call home. And I remember sitting in my bedroom that we were sharing with, you know, other girls. And I said to the Lord, there's no way you're calling me to the world. Because I can't even get one Siberian saved. We had one more time in a very remote village. I can still remember it. It was, it was so destitute that it reminded me of maybe what it would look like here in photographs from the Great Depression. That's what it looked like. They were still using mules to get around. People had one set of clothes. There was nothing modern about it at all. They had no electricity. Everybody used the same water well in the middle of town. It was very, very depressing to a modern American. And we came into the city and we did the exact same thing we had done for six weeks. And this time I just had really lost a bunch of faith. And I walked up to the girl that was mine to minister to, and I got out my little sheet of paper because they didn't speak English and we didn't have enough interpreters. And I drew out the salvation plan that I was taught to draw. And I lifted my eyes when I had asked her, do you want to receive Christ? And she shook her head, yes. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me then and said, I will do it if you stop trying to do it in your strength and you will let me teach you how to be led. And I came to 2021, now so many years later, so many years later, and the Lord said to me again, the same way that I taught you to be led at 15, I am teaching you a new way. I'm teaching you how to reach the people I'm calling you to next. And I felt that God was beginning to show me the tension. Now I'm using this as an example because I don't know how to tightrope. And if I did, you guys would all be embarrassed by that for me. But the Lord spoke to me and said, Amanda, I'm creating this year over your life. And I believe many that are in this building. A year between the now and not yet. But if you let the slack come and get, try to get rid of the tension of the middle, you won't be able to cross the tightrope. It will still remain. The, the, the vastness between the two will still remain if you don't let the tension reside. And I've come to realize something. All of us, let me get myself together here. All of us would prefer this, where tension is very low. Maybe none of y'all are control freaks, I can speak for myself, I am. And I would much prefer to not have any tension in my life. I would much prefer everything to be as rosy and as beautiful and as exciting and wonderful and things are clicking and we are working in miracle signs and wonders and church on Sundays just as easy peasy and sermons are coming out of me like it's coming out of any, like I'm pouring out liquid, it's just amazing. But you know what I figured out? ain't no growth in that season because the Bible says that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies it cannot produce and what that means is unless something gets into the dark places and their resistance comes in that dark place and tension doesn't exist in that you are unable to actually produce anything worthwhile through the surface so this is what I figured out it's a tense year on purpose. It's a year of tightrope walking on purpose. I don't know what you're facing, but I know I came with a word from God today that it's time for us to trust the known God in some unknown circumstances we're facing. And I believe wholeheartedly that the tensions that we are feeling even in some of the most difficult circumstances, God is not interested in removing. Okay, I'm going to preach on this side because that felt like depressing news to you. God is not interested in removing. Because if it is removed, we will not be able to cross where God has ordained us to cross over. At the Gate Church, this is a year of tensions. We are living in the present, expectant of a great future. 
We are honoring what was by entering into what can be. It's a year of tensions. And so I felt so strongly today that I wanted to open up with one scripture, and I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. It's John chapter 13, verse 7. John 13, verse 7, out of the New Living Translation. Let me just set it up for us because I'm only reading one verse. This is when Jesus has come onto the horizon of now beginning to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter speaks up, as Peter always does, and basically says, come on now, don't be trying to wash my feet. I don't need that from you. And Jesus says back to him, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. Now, I find this an interesting verse because I don't have any indication out of all the Gospels that there was ever another day that Peter washed someone else's feet. I never see in Scripture another time that someone else's feet gets washed. So when Jesus says to him, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but someday you will, it was not about feet washing. And I think sometimes in our life, when we reach unknown circumstances and God says to us, you don't get what I'm doing, we immediately try to make whatever God is doing in his act be what God is trying to teach us through his act. When in reality, what Jesus was trying to show Peter had nothing to do with feet washing. It had everything to do with the humility of a leader. You don't get now what it means to be humble because you've yet to be humbled. But someday, you'll see what I was doing was for you too. Lord, today I ask you that you will anoint the word. You will cause it to resonate on the inside of hearts. You will cause people to live in the overflow of your anointing and your knowledge. Today, Lord, let your word go deep. As you teach us to trust you in a time that we feel so full of questions, that we learn to lean in to the mystery and the mission. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. So when Jesus says, you don't understand this, I think there are many times in Scripture that this tension exists. Times that we don't understand everything that's happening or every act that Jesus is doing in our life. I don't know about you, but 2020 isn't full circle for me yet. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and just take a minute. I'm going to need you to talk back to me or I'm going to really, like, I'm going to keep going. Okay? And this is the way it works. We are in this boat together. I will not be alone. All right. All right. Thank you. Appreciate this. And the Bible talks about so many times that Jesus required his disciples to live in unknown places while yet knowing him. Places that they could not see the end, but they did have the beginning with them. See, it doesn't make sense to us when we look at a God and try to figure out how one man who was fully God and fully man can go to a cross just over 2,000 years ago and somehow that affect our today. You can maybe lead someone to Christ with an answer, but you can't explain how that happens. There is tension between what you know and what you think you know. There is tension between who God is and what you know about God. And I love what so many ministers that have come before me have said, I would give everything I don't, what I know for everything I don't know because the vastness of who God is is so great that I have yet to discover even the small bit of iceberg of who he is in our lives. And I think sometimes when we come to unknown circumstances, we start to believe we have have an unknown God. And we begin to find ourselves at the half empty way of prayer instead of the half full. 
Because listen to me, your prayer life is full of the known God and the unknown God. He shows up at the same time. He is not a separate God from each other. When the woman with the issue of blood came and she came and touched the hem of the garment, the, the Greek message says that virtue flowed. That word virtue there does not mean a piece of God. It means the full expression of who God was flowed from him to her. What does that mean for you and me? But the Bible also goes on and says that it showed up to her as healing. Because what normally happens is you go to God with your need and when you touch him, you get more than what you realize. But what only shows up as a victory or a testimony are the things that are left in your life that you knew needed to be filled. So you got all of him, but you can only recognize what you actually thought you needed. That's why you can get into unknown circumstances sometimes and you start to realize there is more in you about God than you ever knew was there. It's not because all of a sudden you had some down low in the middle of the night when you were laying on your couch. It's because God's been giving you all of him all the time, but you haven't been recognizing the all you've been getting. And so you didn't see it. Over the gate church, there have been times over this house that God has been depositing into this house. And there are times that we have known as a corporate people what God was doing. But the bottom line was is that we only allowed ourselves to appropriate what we could put context for. And we never realized there are some secret things that God's been delivering to us on purpose for such a time as this. And the same way Esther came into the courts and did not know. Somebody said, well, it was because she was so beautiful or it was because she had all the right things to say or it's because Mordecai worked on her behalf no 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 she ended up in the courts because God's got secret plans for his ultimate plan and he will bring anyone who will listen anyone who will receive it into his purposes and into his plan she ended up there because God wanted her there she thought it was for one reason, but it ended up being for an entirely different reason. And what I have found is, and unless we're willing to live in the tension rod of what it takes to know that we have serving a God we know about and a God we yet to have learned. Now Colossians tells us that we have had the mystery revealed to us. The book of Colossians chapter 1 and 2. Paul goes on and says, you know, you're no longer living as one who doesn't have the full expression of the mystery. But what he's talking about there, and I want to make this clear because when I'm getting to my point, I don't want you to misunderstand. What he's talking about there is the mystery of Jesus coming to the planet. That's what he's talking about. And what happens when Jesus comes to the planet. But what he doesn't bring full awareness of is that Jesus coming brings a whole new mystery that yet to be discovered. And so what I realized I wanted to talk about today, I want to talk about two primary tensions that come to try to live in our life in seasons where God's trying to get us into a place of trust and faith. And the first one is this. We have to learn how to live in the tension of directed stewardship and desired ownership. We have to learn to live in the tension of directed stewardship and desired ownership. The bottom line is, is that you steward two things all the time besides your life, your personal life. In big picture, you steward the mystery of God and you steward the mission of God. You steward the mystery of God and you steward the mission of God. Stewardship is all about how you handle something that's been put into your hand and whether or not you can let that thing honor God. Stewardship is all about how you handle something that comes into your hand and how it honors God. In other words, everything at your disposal, everything, your income, your time, your energy, your influence, your resource, all of it has been given to you through stewardship. 
And how you handle it and how you allow it to honor God determines what it becomes in your life and how it works on your behalf. And here is what I figured out. A lot of us have heard sermons and preaching about how to steward our jobs, how to steward our money, how to steward our action, how to steward all types of wonderful, fantastic things that I'm sure I've preached on too. But what we rarely ever talk about is understanding how to steward what you don't understand. Because stewardship is all about how you handle something. So you don't get the privilege and I don't get the privilege of stewarding what I do know and then leaving what I don't know to the side believing that it doesn't affect the outcome of my life. Actually, what you don't know is greater than what you do know. What is unknown is greater than what is known. So therefore, the stewardship of the mystery becomes a massive part of who you and I are. And the question mark becomes, can you steward mystery or do you need God to explain everything? And if you do need him to explain it, why is he God? God never promised explanations. He made promises of impact, usefulness, fruitfulness. He never promised us that you would not have to steward a time in our lives on the regular basis of working inside of a life that I have to still trust him and not understand what he's doing. Because here's the fact, the immutability, the character of God never shifts. Who God is in character never shifts. From the beginning of time, all 66 books, everything he does past the 66 books in our church that is not recorded in scripture, none of it changes in character. But one thing that's changing all the time is the way in which that character is being revealed. His acts are always changing. His ways of doing things are always shifting because his character is immutable. In other words, it's always reliable. But his acts, though reliable in action because he is a God who does not lie, you don't always understand why it is to one blind man he'll just speak to the blindness, to another one he'll spit in the ground, to another one he'll walk by. He's right in character, but you can't give explanation to his acts. And what God asks of you and me is, can you trust me? Can you believe me? Can you stand in the same place I am when you don't have all the answers about why I'm doing what I'm doing? Can you look at your neighbor when your neighbor says to you, why is it you're still going to that job? Why is it that you're still going to that church? Why is it you let that woman speak into your life? Whatever it is. Why is it you do the things that you do? Is it possible that you don't know the answer, though your heart bears witness? Are you capable of staying in the gap with God long enough to not try to explain God away to everybody with stuff you don't know because you don't like living in the mystery? Stewardship of the mystery means I'm out of control. The greatest hindrance to stewarding mystery well is when you have to control everything about your life. Now listen, you're talking to a woman who is plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. I am a, if that didn't work, I got 19 other plans. I mean, that's just the way God made me. You could ask my husband. As soon as we decide where we're going to go to dinner, I got a contingency plan if that place is something wrong. Except the other night. We were going out with a couple in the church, and the restaurant was closed. I did not have a contingency plan for the first time in a very long time, and I was really upset about that. <laughs> I was really bad, but I'm so thankful for Derek and Catherine who, who went on with us. Way to go. I see him out there. Way to go, guys. We made it work. Good old snow in Oklahoma. But I will say this, I'm a contingency plan girl. And when the Lord spoke to me about the tensions of this year, God had to remind me that he doesn't work in contingencies. He didn't need a backup plan. Now, I want to talk because I have the privilege of doing that in this house, so I'm going to talk real raw for a couple minutes. Listen to me. Nobody wanted to lose Tony Miller more than my family. We did not want to send him to heaven at 63. But I will tell you this. It is not God's contingency plan for what's happening now. 
This isn't like, wow, that thing went rogue. I'm going to have to get down there and figure that out. God doesn't work in plan B. He's always working in plan A. So you may not understand plan A. I might not understand plan A. But I can tell you this. Until I do understand it, because the Bible says in John 13, you don't know what I'm doing now, but someday you will. I will steward the mystery and say, I'm out of control. I don't know. I'm not sure right from left. I'm not sure up from down. I don't know why you did it this way or why you caused it this way. I don't know why you're washing my feet or make me wash someone else's. But here's what I do know. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You will do what you said you will do. You will come through where you said you will. You're never early and you're never late. You're right on time. And I can trust you. I can put my control freakness down and trust the mystery. See, all of us excuse mystery with prudence. Well, I'm just being prudent. I'm just preparing. I'm planning. Making sure I have all my ducks in a row. It's just the way God made me. Be careful because you're talking to a girl that knows that world well. And I will tell you this. Your unwillingness to steward the mystery means you don't get it. So all that is yet to be revealed, you miss because you were unwilling to stay in the gap of the middle, in the tension of the middle, while God was yet revealing what the purpose of something was. You won't know today sometimes what God meant by something five years ago. You're still living in the mystery. When I was 16 years old, actually Karen Pelham's here today. Karen, thank you for being with us. She's so awesome. I love her. Her and Chuck Pastor in Clewiston, they were my husband and I's pastor for a couple years, took over the church that dad and mom were pastoring there. And when I was 16 years old, I'll never forget, uh, there was a woman who came to the church and she stood up, you know, they love to, pa- they love to prophesy to pastor's kids. You ever notice that? And um, they, they stood me up. I was 16, you know, and I was really pompous and full of pride. And uh, though I would have never known it then. And she stood me up and she gave me this great prophetic word. And how, you know, again, one of those prophetic words, you're going to reach the nations. Your, your voice will go all over the world, you know. And I could just see myself, you know. My mom always felt like after words like that, she needed to bring me back down. So she took me to places like Goodwill. <laughs> True story, right, Mom? It was right on the main road in town, and she would tell me all the time, your pride needs to be broken. We're going to Goodwill. Yeah, but she did it. I, I, I'm going to tell you all something. You can say what you want about a mama that loves God and knows the presence of God, but I couldn't forfeit a day because I was definitely hell on earth. That woman, she stood fast. And I'll never forget, the lady came, she stood me up, she said all these things, and at the end of her words, she said, and I see one day your name on a record label. Now listen, mom, she busted out laughing. Thanks, mom. <laughs> y'all, that, y'all that are online, my mother just gut laughed. So, <laughs> thanks, mom, you're a real support. In all honesty, I was not that great of a singer. I sang alto in my, mom, in my mom's choir, but I mean, it wasn't like something I was, I would tell, I would say I was a record, <laughs> record worthy. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I was really like, wow, God's getting ready to do something supernatural with this voice. <laughs> right? I was 16. And um, anyway, life went on. Life went on, and I remember just, you know, my, we had a custom that we would write down words we got, and we'd go over them, things like that, and so we had done that, and I was turning 20 years old, and I ended up having three invitations one year in a row. One was to go to Hillsong and work with Darlene Check. One of them was to move to the UK and work with a couple there, and one of them was to go work for a music artist in Chicago, and I chose, because I really didn't want to be too far from home, I chose to stay in the States, and I, I went to Chicago. And anyway, it was the worst time of my entire life. I mean, when I tell you worst time, it was by far the worst time of my entire life. Everything that I grew up believing, um, I saw people do things and act in ways in the name of God that just was against everything I'd ever been raised with. And I, I was just shocked. I was, I was really deer in headlights. And I really lost my focus and, and my center. 
and I was in the middle of a very difficult situation. And anyway, I was getting ready to leave because things were just so bad. And the lady who I was working for had cut a Christmas album that we had done the summer before. And she had done the Christmas album, and anyway. So I was getting ready to leave this whole experience. And when I tell you that it broke me, it was one of the most broken times of my entire life. I mean, I'm thankful for it on this side, but on that side, it, it was a terrible experience. And I was getting ready to leave there, and the lady came in in December, and she gave me a copy signed. And um, she's very well known. And I was like, oh, thank you. And um, she said, I put you in the credits. And I was like, okay, because I worked for her. And I read it, and it was just like a little special thank you. And I went home that night, as distant as I felt from God in that season. I went home that night, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, today I fulfill the word I gave you, but not so that you could see your name on a record album for the sake of your glory, but so that you would know I'm with you in this mess. And I learned that sometimes God gives us places in our life that we see as one thing. But it's only to demonstrate to us God's better thing. The one thing could have been a record label with my voice and my name and my glory and all the things that I thought at 16. But what God wanted me to know is at 16 years old, he saw in advance one of the most difficult years of my life. And he had made a way at 16 for what was coming at 21. Here's why I say it. God doesn't have contingency plans. You have to learn how to steward the mystery right alongside of the mission. Because if you get lost in it, you start to believe that your way waywardness has gotten God off track from his purpose. But the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter where you found yourself. If you found yourself down by the corner store or you found yourself in Chicago like I did, God said, I already saw the decisions that were going to bring you to the worst place of your life. And in advance, I made a way of escape. I gave you a word about something that you were lost in so that you would know my goodness and my love are following after to you all the days of my life so that you realize that even when you're not looking, I'm still working on your behalf. I don't know about you, but God is in the middle of what's happening at the gate church and he's in the middle of what's happening in your life. He is saying, learn how to steward, hold in your hand the mystery of what I have because you don't understand it today, but someday you will. Someday you will. You may not know why you went through that divorce. You may not know why you went through cancer. You may not know why you had that eating disorder. You may not understand why you dealt with weight problems. You may not understand why it is your mama treated you that way. You may not understand why that drug addiction came. You may not get it today. But God says to all of us, I am the beginning and the end. And I don't make decisions off of the beginning. I make them off the end. But can you stay in the tension of now and not yet? Of known and unknown? Can you live and trust me and get away from your controlness of always having to verify and make sure that your religiosity keeps control of all the situations of your life? Because you want to know two things that hold up us from losing control? religion's one of them. Your religiousness is a cover-up for your controlness. Religion is full of barriers. It's not barriers on you, it's barriers on God. And when you give in to religion in your life, operating, and I'm using the word religion in a broad spectrum, not in the sense of Christendom. I'm talking about the spirit of religiousness that gets on the inside of people and causes them to control the outcomes of other people's lives or their own in the name of God. You know how many churches have met today and everything went exactly according to plan? Don't tell me God's not a God of order. He is. But he is not a God who doesn't like surprise either. 
Jesus walked on water to Peter. He didn't have a plan like, now I'm going to get halfway to you, and if you'd like to walk out to me, you make sure you signify that you'd like to come out on the water, then I'm going to tell you you can come out of the water, and then when you walk out on the water, we will meet each other halfway. That's not the way that went. Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to get out on the water. I'm going to show you what I do. And Peter said, you know what I figured out? I figured out if he can do that, I can do that because I'm part of whatever it is he's doing. I saw my teacher do it, therefore I can do it. So I don't understand it. I don't get it. But all I know is I'm going to respond to the moment that I see him doing it in it. And when I respond to it, I'm going to do supernatural things that I never thought were possible. See, most of the time we're good with seeing Jesus walk on the water. We're just boat dwellers and we keep sitting in the boat and we never get out of it. But here's what I learned about God. He would much rather have someone who sinks than someone who sits. He would rather have sinkers than sitters. At least do something. If you see what I am doing, respond. So there is a tension in losing the control. One of them is religion. But the second one is humility. Control freaks hate humility. Because humility is vulnerable. It takes control away from you. And gives it to everything that you are humbled at. And most of us, if we're dead honest, even in our own spouse relationships and our own family relationships, we have a hard time humbling ourselves before the other. Because we do not like the vulnerabilities of being out of control and being in charge of the narrative of whatever is going to happen. Because humility gives power to the other person. So the answer for control in our life is actually not more trust in God. It's more humility. And when I have more humility, I trust God at a greater level. Because my humility on the earth proves my trust to God in heaven. Whatever I will let humble me here or I will humble myself before demonstrates who I believe has control of my outcomes. That's why I don't get up in arms when somebody don't say something to me about who I really am. I don't get up in arms when I walk into a room and people treat me like, I can still remember two years ago going in with dad, him and I were actually preaching somewhere together. And I walked into the room and immediately a well-known pastor, which I will not name, walked up to me and said, I realize you're, you're working for Tony Miller. Here's my card. I need him to do this, da, 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 you know, two weeks from now. I just looked at the guy. I said, okay. And I took the card and, you know, I mean, Probably 15 years ago, I'd have given them like 19 pieces of my mind. But my mother has taught me a lot. She used to tell me, you got to put a little sugar on that, Amanda. got to put a little sugar on that. She said it all the time. She still says it. And uh, anyway, and so I, I walked and I, I gave Dad the card. And he, was, he spoke that night and everything was fine. And it was my turn the next day. And so the next day came and I got up to speak. And I could see the deer in headlights on the man who had come up to me the night before. And he, he came up to me afterwards, and he apologized to me for, for making me seem like I was the assistant traveling with Dad. Now, listen, there is nothing wrong with assistants traveling with people. That's not my point. My point is that's not who I was in that room at that time. But I had no desire to prove who I was because my humility has brought me to a place that I don't trust his outcome for my life. I know what God's already doing in my life. I know who I am. I didn't need him to validate who I am. I already knew who I was. So when I got done, it was easy for me to look at the man and say, I'm not offended by what you did because, listen, I'm learning how to steward the mystery right along with the assignment. It's okay that you don't get what God has already said. It's okay you don't see me pregnant and you don't talk about my baby. I'm not upset by that. I don't need you to be that. But what I do need need to know is who my trust actually is in because when I know that I can humble myself before you without offense so we learn how to steward mystery and mission the second one and I'm going to conclude because I know I've gone a little bit here is there is a tension between unplanned things and prepared things unplanned things and prepared things now listen to me there can be unplanned things in our life that are still prepared. Okay. I know. I'm taking us to a little bit of a cerebral school today. There can be unplanned things that happen in our life that still only reveal the planned thing that was there all along. 
Let me give you some examples. Joseph is one of the best examples in Scripture. The Bible says of Joseph that he was a man who was sold into slavery. Right? That's what the Bible says. If you look at Psalms 105, 17, this is what the word of the Lord says about Joseph who was sold, who then became part of a prison ministry, who then ended up in all types of situations in Potiphar's house, and then all of a sudden he finds himself finally in the palace of his life doing what he was actually ordained to do from the very beginning of time, what had been prepared for him. And this is what Psalms 105:17 says about him. God sent a man before him. His name was Joseph. He was sold into slavery. Here's my point. Joseph did not plan to be sold. When he got the word from God about what he was going to do in his life, selling himself to slavery was not part of his plan. But the Bible says that while Joseph had unplanned events that came into his life, the entire time God was with him, bringing him into the prepared place that had already been designed for him. So here's what I'm telling you. Was there things that have happened over the last 18 months at the Gate Church that have been unplanned? Yes, but they fall into the category of what God has already been planning. They're not new to God just because they're new to us. They're not for the first time coming before the Father. Whatever it is you're facing, you may have said, well, I, got, I lost my job in 2020 or things shifted in a way I didn't see coming or I didn't get the degree that I thought or I wasn't able to start that business that I wanted to but the bottom line is this unplanned things happen but they can always reveal the plan of God that has been prepared for you from the beginning of time Joseph didn't see it but he needed it in order to get to his prepared thing so here's where I'm at on this I want us to understand Isaiah 43. And I'm going to use a Tony Miller quote because I love, you almost can't get me and not get a Tony Miller quote, so you might as well just be okay. Isaiah 43, when he says, Behold, I do a new thing. Listen, 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 listen. The new thing is only a prepared thing whose time has come. A new thing is only a prepared thing whose time has come. In other words, new to us is not new to the prepared place God has for us. So we will be irreverent and miss if we believe that this is a new thing. In other words, everything about yesterday is gone and we have nothing to do with it. No, 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 no. The new thing, and when it says don't remember the former, it wasn't talking about don't remember the miracles and victories God brought you through. What it's talking about is don't get held up in the way I worked in the previous season because if you get held up in the way I did it last year, you're going to miss what I'm doing this year. But if you will learn how to tap in to the new thing, and the new thing comes with mystery, if you'll learn how to tap into the new thing it can have unprepared things I mean unplanned things in it but the prepared thing will always bring itself out because prepared things can be unplanned to us three things happen and I'm ready I'm getting ready to close so you guys can come whenever new things or the prepared thing shows up these three things always happen they one uncover other things. John 14 verse 8, when Jesus is talking to his disciples trying to prepare them for what is about to happen, they are living in peril. They have no idea what he is trying to tell them. And they keep questioning him about how can we go with you? How is it going to be there? How are we going to be here? And finally Jesus looks at them in John 14 verse 8. When they say to us, when they say to him, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you see me, you see him. Listen to me. When time and preparation find themselves in a Kairos moment, things that were familiar before do not carry familiarity. They carry the newness of unfamiliarity. In other words, what you didn't know before just becomes uncovered to what you can know about it now. Jesus had always been with them, but he had never seen the Father in him. 
But in John 14, he said, the prepared thing and time are finally meeting in a Kairos moment. So I can no longer just relate to you as the son. I can now show you that I am both son and father. It always uncovers new things. It uncovers what's been hidden. Listen to me. If you don't have expectation for this season, you are going to miss a bunch. Because the uncovering is taking place. What has been hidden from us before is about to be revealed. The second thing that happens in a prepared thing is new things are discovered. Things that were hidden that we don't know about. Now the first one is uncovered. In other words, we knew something, we just didn't see it all. The second one is discovered. We didn't even know it was there. God just all of a sudden shows us things we never realized were sitting in that place. Listen to me. In 2020, we had a few services on Friday nights where people gave some prophetic words. They were right over here. One of the words that came out in 2020 was by one of our members who walked up and said, over the next six to 18 months, people's jobs are going to change and their assignments are going to change. The assignment on their life is going to change. Now, do you think Kathy Miller was sitting in that auditorium thinking, well, yeah, that's about to happen to me? You think I was sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go travel the world and help with a church in the UK and start a fellowship? Do you think others of you that have had adjustments to your life that I just don't know about were thinking those adjustments were coming? Some things in the prepared place are only discovered when you get to the prepared place. And unplanned things can bring you to the prepared place so that you can discover. Acts chapter 10 and 11 talk about one man, Peter. The Bible says that Cornelius was desperately crying out for someone to come and teach them the word. Peter had never done that before. He had been a Jewish pastor, not a Gentile one. Cornelius was Gentile. But Cornelius' prayer went up before the Lord. And you know who the Lord chose? He chose Peter. He didn't come down to a Gentile and say, you know what, you best relate. I'm going to choose you. He went to what was the unexpected place, chose an unexpected person to come do something that was prepared but unplanned. New things are being discovered among us. Some of you that you've been wanting to be job, you've been wanting to be business owners, this is the season it's going to happen. Some of you have been looking for promotion, this is the season it's going to happen. Some of you have wanted to be a parent and you've not been able to conceive, this is the season it's going to happen. Because God is bringing new discoveries, new assignments, new opportunities. He is opening a prepared place for us. The third one is this. In new prepared places, some things are recovered. Some things are recovered. When Jesus came in Isaiah 61, it's prophesied, then he comes, in, he comes in Luke 4, and he says it all over again. In Isaiah 61, it's a prophetic word about the one who was coming named Jesus. But in Luke 4, he says of himself, I'm coming as one who breaks open prison doors who sets captives free, who brings the recovery of sight to the blind. He was not pointing out an ailment that he was going to heal and leave all the other healings away. He was talking about vision. He said, when I come on the horizon, the prepared thing gets into the place. I'm going to bring with me the ability to recover. Now, I got to say this, and I know you got to stick with me because this is a word for the Lord for this house. This is a season of recovery. God is bringing us the recovery of sight for our blindness. He is giving us fresh vision 
He is causing the places that have gone dormant to once again rise and produce. He is not just telling us to plant new seeds. He is telling us he is going to germinate upon the seeds that have already been planted. Because when a prepared thing gets in contact with the Kairos moment, God brings recovery of sight. He says to us, this is the season for every vision, everything I've declared over the gate from the beginning of time to begin to arise and germinate. I have one thing to say and then we're going to we're going to pray. Because I knew God gave me this word specifically for the house. In 1953, they raided King Herod the Great's tomb. When they went in, they found all kinds of bones all kinds of elaborate things that they had laid in King Herod's tomb. But what they also found about the size of my water bottle was a group of seeds. Seeds that had been put there to celebrate who he was and what he had accomplished. For 50 years, those seeds just laid in a museum untouched and done nothing with and then an archaeologist said will you let me have the seeds and they said why would you want these seeds they're 2,000 years old he said because I have a feeling that if I can get the seed back into the place that it was originally from something will arise and grow in 2005, he took three seeds and planted three palms. One of the three sprouted. By 2010, it was five foot tall. And by 215, it is now recorded as the largest living 2,000 year old palm tree on the planet. All because an archeologist thought that what had been laid to rest in one season could now regenerate into something new in this season. Here is what I have come to tell the Gate Church. We have raided the tomb and we have recovered the seats. And now the question is, will we memorialize them in a museum or will we take them out to the dirt of our city, to the planting of our lives, to the ideas and the dreams that God's put on the inside of us? And will we pour out the seeds upon the soil again and just believe enough that what God declared and what he said, he will do over this house. I've come to tell someone, it is time to recover the seeds. It is time to recover the seeds. It is time to open up the dirt and make a way because God said, if you will plant it, if you will water it, I will cause the leading palm tree to come out. Oh, hallelujah. Would you just get on your feet for a minute? Would you just get on your feet for a minute and worship the Lord? I believe this is a season of recovery. I believe that God's recovering marriages. God's recovering children. God's recovering plans and purposes. God's recovering dreams. God's recovering possibility.